Aloha. Hey, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do turn to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12. And as you turn there, we are actually wrapping up our three-week series entitled Make a Difference. What we've been focusing on for the last three weeks is the generosity of God. In a time and an age where the prosperity gospel has really perverted the true gospel of the Lord Jesus, we felt that it was necessary to understand the doctrine of generosity through the lens of the scriptures. So in week one, we focused on the generosity of God with the gospel through the book of Jonah. In week two, last week, we focused on generosity in God through our children. And today, I want to wrap up our series with the understanding of God's generosity to us with our lives. Can I get a witness here this morning? God has uniquely blessed his ohana, his church, his family, as the Greek language says, his ecclesia, the called out ones, with a life that screams loudly for him. And in fact, as we jump into our text today, we're going to drive a conversation that is foundational to our Christian faith. In fact, it is so foundational, everything we know of after the cross of Jesus Christ, right, is really platformed from this understanding of our text in Genesis chapter 12. I mean, everything you understand today, everything you understand from the standpoint of Christianity, right, the platform of it begins with these few verses we're going to read this morning. So would you stand with me in the reading of God's perfect word as we have done for the last seven years in the existent, uh, almost seven years in the existent of our church plant. We've always stood for the reading of God's word. We see it done in Nehemiah, where after 70 years of being in exile, the Persian king allowed the people of God to return back home to Jerusalem. And this is how they honored God with the word. They stood upright in the reading of God's perfect law. Mao Kao Kao. Now the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a what? A great nation. And I will bless you and make your name what? Great. That you will be a blessing. Abram, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, Abraham, I will what? In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, Abram. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, or Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired to Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to that land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the yoke of Moriah. 
at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev, the Pulikako. Holy Spirit of God, we ask you to take us out of the formality of traditionalism this morning. That we wouldn't go through the motions of church. But we honestly want to hear directly from you. And the way you speak to us is through your word today, your written word. A consistency of how you spoke to your people in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and even today. Until you return, you continue to speak through your written word. May we find comfort, conviction, and community among your people and those who don't know you yet as Lord and Savior. Among this written word, your scriptures, your perfect law, your testimony, your precepts, your perfect, everlasting word. Speak to us, living word of God. In your name we pray. And God's Ohana says loud and proud. Amen. You may be seated. Today's a significant day in the life of our church, as well as our family, the Tomaselli family, because one year to this date... We had the opportunity of holding for the second time a state championship trophy with the Hilo High School football program. And we celebrate God. Amen. We celebrate God for that, right? And and more than just elevating the Viking life or Hilo or, or ties or commitment to what school you go to, this is what I enjoy of being a football coach. Like I can talk X's and O's with you. I can talk about concepts, offense, defense, specialties. I can talk, but this right here, this picture that you're looking online is what I enjoy. This literally happened like a few seconds after our kicker made the 55-yard record set kick, right? We tackled him out somewhere in the field. We all piled on him, and, and there was only one way we knew how to respond as a program, and it was to thank God for his goodness. That's more than winning a state championship. So all you see is the games, right? What you do not see is the prayer that goes on in those locker rooms. And I'm not talking about specifically the player. It started with this church. When this church was planted, God raised up people within this church to go to the football locker rooms, lay hands on each locker room. And I, I, I swear we prayed, up about, we prayed for about 1,000 different football players in the last seven seasons. Amen, saints? And God did extraordinary things, things that meaning we could not do it in and of ourselves apart from his magnificent power and work. And today we know there are families that are following Jesus because of the gospel in this program. We know today we have families in this church today because of this program. And if there's anything I want us to leverage on top of this aina. Right? This land that we call Hawaii, right? It's that living generous is all about living missional with our life. There's another picture 
I want to show you real quick, right? A picture of the team celebrating, right? This is, these, this is hours upon hours of investing character classes. Yes, we do that at our high school, right? Because we believe the greatest thing our people, our boys can know, our women can know from this program is that they have character. And for me, as a character coach, godly character. Character that's not just, just characteristics, but it's biblical, it's doctrinal, it's theological, Right? When we talk about love, joy, hope, peace, patience, integrity, we're talking about the scriptures and what it reveals to us. But here, here's another picture, right, that I want to celebrate, right? Being able to do it with the one that I love the most apart from Christ, right? Right? And when I watch, when I watch my holy bride, right? Like when I watch her, when the, when the boys call her auntie or when the coaches call her tita or sister, it's beautiful to, to see my wife who grew up in the Bible Belt, right, in Tennessee, middle Tennessee, to give up what she knows is comfort and to join this crazy kanaka, right, to jump into the islands and to get in on this mission activity. May our lives be the platform of God's glory today. And I know we could celebrate many more lives, right? Some of you who are part of programs, maybe that are winning in games, but you guys are involved in relationships that provide a greater success story, and that's redemption for themselves, right? Through the Lord. And we come to a point in our text where there is a lot of understanding of what I call my sermon today, living generous with your life. I want to be very clear because I know we have other understandings of generosity in this realm, especially in America today. When I talk about the platform of living generous, I'm talking about every fiber of your being, your attention, your affection, your passion, your skill, your trait, everything that you are, your fiber of your being is used for the glory of of God. And in understanding scripture, we need to understand the history of our text. To understand our text rightfully, I want you to see some historical analysis in our verses today. In the life of Abram. Abram, you would know, would become known as one through three, Abraham. But we could say that this is Abraham's point of coming to Christ. He's known as Abram. You may not know this, but my name is not Zeke. My name is not even Kahu, right? It is, it is interesting. We got boys like Caleb in this room who calls me Uncle Kahu. That's not my name, right? Actually, my name is Ezekiel Ethan, if you did not know. That's my first name. And you know us Hawaiians, we like giving long names that we never live up to, Right? <laughs> but the reality is, right, nobody likes saying Ezekiel Ethan all the time, so they watched Salute Your Shorts, Nickelodeon, and saw Zeke the Plumber, therefore I got the name Zeke, right? That's my name. That's what I go by. That's what I know for. For Abram, that was him. That was his name. That was his home name. And we see a few things about this character in the scriptures. Abram was a descendant of Shem. Shem is considered to be the oldest son of Noah, as we see in Genesis. Abram, right? Was all, God calls Abram to follow him. Now, I want you to see this very clear in our text today. In verse 1 of chapter 12, 
God does not give the destination to Abram. Abram just follows. Let me be very clear, right? He just follows God. Then he lands in between Bethel and Ai and oversees the promised land that we know as, in this text, Canaan. And God, thirdly, God gives Abram a covenant. You could say that the covenant is your scriptures today. The covenant is a promise. The covenant says to us that God has promised to us something that we do not deserve in our sinful nature, but because of his mercy and his grace, he covenants with us. And you see a few words in these few verses on what God covenants with Abram. Number one, he told Abram that he will make him a great nation. In fact, I want you to take your pen if you have a literal Bible or a digital Bible and highlight every time God says, I will. All right? In all these verses, he said, I will make you a great nation, Abram. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you. And he also says, him who dishonors you, I will curse. Now, that's not the popular God everybody loves, right? But that's in the scriptures. Lastly, he says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is the doctrine of grace. And it separates in two forms. For this specific one where God promises Abraham that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. There's two grace words I want us to write down. It's not on the screen, but extra nuggets for you guys. The first one is common grace. Common grace means that everyone on the face of the earth will experience some form of God's creative grace. Right? Intellect or birth, air to breathe. Right? Social status. Right? Creativity. The list goes on. Everyone on the face of this planet is blessed with God's creation. Amen? But there's a separate part of grace that does not line up with that similar grace. This grace that we're talking about is a covenantal grace. A grace that rescues sinners from the pit of darkness into his everlasting light. We know in the New Testament that will be found in his perfect atoning son, Jesus The Christ, the Messiah, two separate graces with distinctions, but nevertheless reminds us that God is a generous God. Can I get an amen here, right? He's a generous, Dr. Michael Lawrence gives us a better understanding of what covenant theology looks like. The type of covenant that we're talking about, God did a few in the Old Testament with Israel, specifically his people, the Hebrews, the Hebrewites, right, the Hebrew. The first, this type of covenant is called a grace covenant, meaning that man can do nothing. It's all up to God. Amen? 100% God. The blessing of this covenant is that a place and a people is chosen, a remnant specifically, is chosen by God to bless the nations. This is Israel. This will be funded through Abraham or Abram. There's some curses that involve some of these covenants. But because this is a covenant of grace, there is no curse. Right? There is no curse. Therefore, we move forward because God is sufficient. 
the sign of this covenant, meaning there was a mark to define this covenant. We learned last week that Noah's covenant, right, the sign for Noah between him and God was what? The rainbow, right? God told Noah to be fruitful and to multiply, and the recognition of this fruitfulness would be the rainbow. Don't we live in the best place in the world to see rainbows, right? That is God's promise. He reminds us that promise today. The sign for the Abrahamic covenant is circumcision. Only Israel circumcised the foreskin of the male. To shown as a sign of cleansingness, holiness, righteousness. We see this lived out through Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17. So as we transition from this historical analysis, now I want to move into a theological and applicational analysis. And there's really two things I want us to see in a life application standpoint of our text today. Application number one, let's embrace the call to live obediently. Say it with me. One, two, three. Let's embrace the call to live obediently. The word obedient literally means to follow. In fact, if we look at our text today through the venue of the life of Abram, there's a few things we see in embracing this call of obedience. Number one, we see an an abandonment of comfort. Look at verse one. God calls Abram to leave what was normal to him. Right? God is right now positioning Abram in his call to live generously through him to the nations of the earth. And God does this by not just positioning him, but also removing him from his countryside, his normality, and where he was self-sustaining. It sounds like a Hawaiian boy who was living in Middle Tennessee, who had three acres of land, a beautiful brick house, well set, great medical, I guess, great, great finances. It was, it was comfortable for me. Though it wasn't my place, it was comfortable for me. It was the home of my wife. God says, go. Go home, right? And, and specifically in this text, he's not even telling Abraham where to go. He just says, go. Now, again, this, this is a contrary to what we understand in the prosperity gospel, right? That the Lord wants us to be healthy, rich, and famous. This is, what not God, this is not what God is calling us to. God is calling us to an abandonment of our comforts. God is not calling us to name it, claim it, and receive it. God is, not, God is done with that word. That is false doctrine. That is heresy. I grew up in a church in a denomination that says the reason why you don't have these things is because you don't have enough faith. Therefore, you're not claiming it, and therefore, you're not receiving it. That is not what the scripture is talking about. We see it clearly in this covenant. God is giving some expectations, not on man or Abraham. God is giving some expectation on himself, hallelujah. Because only he can provide the remedy for this covenant. Secondly, as we embrace this call to obediently, there's an awareness of God's covenant. Look at verse 2. Look at all the times I told you to circle, I will. God is not a guy who, God who lies. 
When God says something, help me out, he's going to what? He's going to do it. Right? He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. I will curse. This is the promise. The I will. The I am is stating the I will. He will do all these things. And he has done all these things. Amen. And it should be what drives our motives today in Hilo. No matter the circumstances, hear me out. Hey, guys, hear me out. No matter what goes on, we can trust in the one who says, I will. We can trust in his word. I mean, who is Abraham's nation that God says he will bless? Israel. Who will he bless? Well, specifically, those who bless him. But those who he curse, but those who curse him, God says he will honor that curse back. You may say, how does this look? Look throughout the scriptures. Persia blessed God's people in going back out of exile back to the promised land. You remember that? King, Xerxes, uh, King Cyrus, Artaxerxes as we know it, right? This is Israel. So God blesses them to be the greatest nation at the time. But there are nations in the Bible and people in the Bible who have cursed and done all bad, evil things to God's people. You ready? Listen to me. Here are the people. Egypt. What happened to Egypt? What happened? They messed with God's people. Put them in slavery. And God returned it. Assyria. Messed with God's people. This is the Ninevites that we learned about a couple weeks ago. Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar. Right? God made an example out of him in the book of Daniel. Greece. We would know in history Alexander the Great. Who would not live long to see his reign, but would be conquered. Rome, who took over all of Israel, specifically Jerusalem, and who was in charge at the death of Jesus himself and his crucifixion. Let's talk about a few year, few 70 years ago or plus. Germany, right? Japan. People who have was involved in the Holocaust. And who mess with God's people, Israel. Listen to me. God will curse those who curse his people. Let's embrace the call to live obedient. An abandonment of our comforts. An awesomeness of God's covenant. And then lastly, an acceptance of God's calling. There's a beautiful acceptance going on in this text. That Abram didn't question God. Oh, you hear me clearly? He didn't question God. Look at the text in verse 4. It simply said this, these three words. Listen. So Abram what? Went. Isn't that true for us today? We overthink the mission well, I don't know if my school is going to be open this year. Well, I don't know if my job's going to be available this year. Well, I don't know if the church still has the resources to have Sunday services because we're having a lot of people staying up. Oh, I don't know. 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 Hey, me too. I don't know, but I know who knows. Abram trust in God. And now, now understand the context. You didn't have preachers like R.C. Sproles, Charles Spurgeon. 
right? John MacArthur, right? Costi Hinn, and all these great preachers who preach today. All Abram had was God. Let me tell you, nothing's changed today. All we have, saints of God, is God. And the beautiful reality of the calling, listen to me, the beautiful reality of the calling is to follow the Lord with your family into the unknown. Now, now I'm used to Hawaii. I understand this. Being gone for 12 years has challenged me. When I came back, my accent was a little bit flawed, right? I sounded more like in between Larry the Cable Guy and Bulaia. So you had to pick where time I felt like if I was, if I was tired, I sound more like Bulaia. Right? If I was energetic, I sound like Larry the Cable Guy. So you come together, and there is a messed up situation going on, right? And this is the reality. Right? When you move to different contexts and cultures, you change. You transform. And here's the scary reality, right? We may say we like change, but in our reality, we don't like change. Change is scary. For some of you in this room, God is calling you to leave this island. Leave. For some of you, God is calling you to leave your job. Leave. For some of you, God is calling you to do something in the unknown. Follow God. Why? Because God has a plan already filled out for you to be a part of. And that is to live life generously with your own life. Here's the biblical truth. It's not the task of God's call that assures us. Rather, it's his words that sustains us. Let me say that again. It is not the task of God's call that assures us what we do or don't do. Rather, it's, the, it's his words that sustains us. This is why we believe in the sufficiency of scripture. This is why we promote the Bible app. And, Bi- and Bible studies, and Ohana groups. Why? Because we believe a healthy church is not centered on methods or strategies or events, attractional events, but they're centered on the scriptures. The scriptures are sufficient. Why? Because it is in the scriptures where God says, I will do this. I will do that. You will not need to be concerned because I will do it. Look at how this reality is expressed throughout the scriptures. It doesn't stop in Genesis. All through the scriptures, look at the psalmist. The psalmist says in 119, your word, your scripture, your law, your precepts, your testimony. These are different words for the, the, your Bible. The Bible, right, is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my what? Path. Isaiah 40, the prophet, 700 years before the birth of Christ said this, the grass withers. The flowers fade, but, hear me out, the word of our what? God will stand. How, how me out? Forever. We see the proverb. Proverbs says in Proverbs 30, every word of God proves true. He, you see the proverb connecting the word word with a gender-specific person. He, God. God is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Who's the individual that's taking refuge in him in this text? Abram and his family. Ohana, is God your refuge today? Is, your God, is God your refuge at all times? Not just when the check is coming in. Not just when things I mean, when you are in the unknown of your life. Is God perfect? 
is God ever so present? Because he will do what he's accomplished and set out to do in all our circumstances. It's not the task of God's call that assures us. Rather, it's his words that sustains every one of us. Just as he has called Abram, he has also called us. So let's embrace this calling to live obediently. Here's the last point for the day, our application truth number two. Let's embrace the call to live missionally. Say it with me, one, two, three. Let's embrace the call to live missionally. Before there were all these fancy Christian artists that's all up on the radio and all that, in Hilo, you didn't have much Christian influence. Yeah, I guess you had Seven Gates. Anybody remember Seven Gates, the bookstore in Hilo Shopping Center? Yeah, that's a, like, like the influence of my music genre and mantra was like people you probably never heard about. Okay, you ready? Anybody heard of the Gaithers? Like that was my, like that was the extent of my contemporary music. If there was a say, anybody heard of uh, the King's Horsemen? Right, like these, yeah, none of you guys probably heard it. These are the kind of music that then integrity music came out, heel song music came out, all these popular 90s, uh, uh, was that Stephen Curtis Chapman started coming out and all this. And what the reality was that it was limited. What I'm trying to get to was this helo was limited to the influence of what was happening around the world. So the one thing that was deceiving in helo specifically was the prosperity gospel. This is the televangelist on TV who asked to sow a seed of this amount of money, therefore you're going to be blessed. This is what was invested into Hilo specifically. And so many of the churches, specifically charismatics, would jump on board that and they would do all these fanatical things of healing and visions and signs and wonders that went on in the church that was chaotic. And all it was was just an emotional high moment. There were no missions going on. We weren't planting churches. We weren't sending missionaries to the ends of the earth. We weren't investing in God's kingdom activity. Everything we did was in categories and compartments. Our lives weren't missionary. This was church on Sunday, and Monday through Saturday was a different life. Can I get a witness out there? That was the culture. That was the context of Hilo. Some of us today still living in that context. That the only fruit I get when it comes to mission living is what's on Sunday. But let me tell you, Sunday is not missional. Sunday is not primary evangelistic. Sundays are discipleship. It's theological. And our hopes is that what goes in us will spread out us for the glory of his name. Look at this. In verse 5, in this covenant, God makes clear to Abram what this mission will look like. He says, when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moriah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Canaanites and God's people were at odds with each other. Here's an observation. because God does not give Abraham a destination. However, God leads him near an interesting spot. God lands Abraham and his family, not in comfort, but conflict. What's interesting about the land of Canaan is that it was named after Noah's second son, Ham. And what we find out about Ham is that he defiles his father pervertically in the book of Genesis chapter 9. And Ham's genealogy was cursed by God because of the sin he did against his father, Moses, in Genesis 9. 
And Abraham, listen to me, Abraham and Ham comes from this same bloodline. Abraham descends from Shem, right? Ham comes from Noah. And out of Ham comes this boy named Canaan. And God raises up Abram, the blessed seed, to be a blessing to a cursed people. Now, it's easy to love people that act just like us, right? That look just like us. But I find comfort that the true gospel that we preach is a gospel that doesn't just unite one color, one ethnicity, one nationality, but it is a message that draws people of the earth, like the Canaanites, right, and the Israelites together. I hear one amen in here. This is what I enjoyed about our Thursday night Thanksgiving. As I looked around the table, diversity. Diversity among where people were from, diversity on their color of their skin, diversity on their social status, diversity on their educational academic status. I found comfort in that because why? The God we worship is a God that will bless the nations of the earth. He'll bless the nations of the earth. Look at Psalm 67, 7. The psalmster says this, God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth, what? Fear him. This is the covenant the Lord made with Abraham. The Lord puts Abraham among God's own enemies, the Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. I hope you hear this. If you hear anything today, I want you to hear this theological reality today. Right? God promises Abraham that his offspring will inherit this land, this land of the Canaanite. Listen to me. You have to look into the text of what it's not saying. God did not say that, Abraham, you will inherit this land. Are you with me? Here's a theological challenge for all of us. Are you okay with being a catalyst of the mission of God and not experience the physical fruits of the mission of God. Are you okay with preaching God's word faithfully inside out and never reap the fruit of salvation in other people? But it would be two, three generations before that work experiences fruit. Two to three generations that you are gone. You leave. You're dead. You're, you're with Christ. You're with God. Are you okay with being just the catalyst? Am I okay with being just the planter of this church? Am I okay just preaching the hardcore truths of the doctrines of sin and man and salvation and the scriptures alone, faith alone, grace alone, to God's glory alone, through Christ alone? Am I okay, Zeke Thomaselli, in doing the hard work for the ministry here before we see real true fruit? Am I okay? Is Marcus, is Sarah, is Lane, all you guys who moved, Ulu, who moved back to the islands, who moved to the islands, are you okay in being the one who suffers and never see the fruit of your labor? Well, if it's biblical, the answer is, help me out, yes. This is what Abram was promised. 
He was promised that an extension of his generation will be blessed. And what this land represents for us is an ending point. This land, the Canaanite land that they, they had and that God's people would take on a few generations later after Moses would be a symbolic picture, you ready, of heaven. Now, how can we live without the assurance of seeing true fruit? Because though we may not see the physical fruit, God promises us in this covenant that we will see our eternal fruit. And that will be with God forever in glory. So until that happens, let's embrace the call to live missionally. Here's the biblical truth. Living life on mission is not a life filled with earthly rewards. If you're waiting to be accepted, listen to me. There's a lot of things I've done in my life. And if I look for a pat on my shoulders, pat on my back, I will become crazy. But because I see that I am undeserving of the grace given to me freely by the Lord God through His perfect Son, Jesus, I receive it humbly. We should do the same thing. So living life on mission is not a life filled with earthly rewards, but rather a life filled with God who is our reward. Amen. And so here's some theological application. How do we live out these verses? Well, Abraham did it clearly in our verses. Look at it. Abraham worshiped God. From verse 7 to verse 9, here's some of the things that happened. He built an altar for the Lord. This is a sign of a monument statue of, I have met with the Lord. Secondly, he pitched his tent near Bethel. The word Bethel also means the house of the Lord. The word pitch, right? It's the same word in the Gospel of John chapter 1 with the word dwell, right? That God, that the word of flesh came on earth and dwelt among us. This is the same Hebrew and Greek word used in the same understanding. And lastly, how did he worship the Lord? He called out to the Lord. You see, living generously with our lives is worship to our Lord. This is found in the person and lordship of Jesus Christ. This covenant this covenant that, that Abraham receives from the Lord will be fulfilled 1,500 plus years later where the Son of God will come on the scene. And in John 1, verse 16, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. First John 2, 2, Jesus is the propitiation, the covering of our sins. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is only one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man God, Jesus. Titus 2.14 says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from our lawlessness and to purify, purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Why do we live on mission? Because we're zealous for God's word and for God's work. Why do we live generously? Because we love God and we love people. 
Why do we come every Sunday morning to worship God? Because God is worthy, and worthy He is to be praised. Why do we do all these countless of hours of investing in the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because at the day of the age, God will redeem those who belong to Him, who was born with the blood-bought church, and He will redeem them forever. Why do we do what we do? Because God says in His covenant, I will, I will, I may be struggling in life, but I will. I may not have everything in life, but I got God, so I will. The great I am, I will, will do what He says He do. He cannot lie. That's not make him God. What makes him God is that he wills, and what he wills, he determines. That's the God we worship. Well, I may have Hakakawi people, God wills. Well, I can't do what this other brother does, but God wills. Are you not? Are you missing the picture? Here's the difference between religion and the gospel. Religion says I gotta do this. The gospel says you can't do nothing. God got it. Religion says, I have to come to church. The gospel says, no, God loves you. He corrects you. He brings you. He starts you where you're at. And he's going to finish the work that he started in you. That's the difference between religion and the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation says one big thing. And it shouts this, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Lord of all. Do you know that today? God wills. (laughs) God wills. No matter what kind of day you have, God wills. God wills. Say it with me. God wills. I will bless you. I will bless others through you. And those that like cause havoc and hakaka with you, I will curse them. But I pray to God that God would not just curse my enemies, God would bless my enemies. That's the gospel we preach. So this is what I want us to do. I want us to respond in a New New Testament way. Once a month, we always observe what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. What's going to happen, our melody team is going to come up and they're going to sing a few doctrinal lyrics that help set our hearts on the Lord. Here's a few ways you can respond. Number one, ask God for forgiveness. In that avenue, if you have any hakaka, any fight, any issue with anybody in this room, make porno. Some of you may want to come to the altar and use this old footsteps as an altar to, to verify your public declaration of confession to the Lord. You can do that. Another way you can respond to the Lord is through singing. Sing these words of theological doctrine and truths to our most heavenly Father through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, when that is all set and go during the song time, when you're pointing with God, when you're pointing with one another, right? when you're singing with all your heart, then during that song time, you can transition to one of our alaka'i back there, kane, and you can get your, your elements right there from the back table on your goal. This is what I will make very clear as we've do, done every month. If your kid, your child, or even yourself, but specifically your child, does not understand the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, I would implore you and beg you and beseech to you not to let them take part of the Lord's Supper this morning. For Paul says, for those who took the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, 
got sick and also died. This is not a superstitious act. This is a holy act. But you, if you feel your child understands, is ready, by all means, go our older boys, take it. And so I want to encourage you in that way. But before you take part of this communion, this Lord's Supper, remember, God has come to give us life and life abundantly in His Son alone. So I'm going to pray for us and we're going to respond in those ways. If you understand what I'm saying, just say yes. God, we come to you this morning. We respond by grace through faith. We realize that we need you desperately, God. God, I pray to God that you would teach us how to submit to you. Cleanse us, purify us, make us porno with you, make us right with you, right with one another. As we sing these words of adoration and praise to you. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we say loud and proud.